Hello, I'm Kira. And I'm Amelia. Welcome, Welcome to, to All Girls Considered. A podcast dedicated to telling the stories of inspiring women and girls. Today we are speaking with Donna Mulholland with the, do- with the duo Still on the Hill. Donna is a musician from Fayetteville, Arkansas, who is known for her storytelling through songwriting and even showcasing local history and culture through her music. Welcome, Donna. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well... I um, have been a lifetime musician my whole life, um, probably started playing when I was about your age, and, um, but my passion is writing songs, and I didn't start writing songs till I was 40 years old, but I've played music my whole life, and I, now I'm in a duo for about 23 years with my husband, and we play as a group called Still on the Hill, and we mostly write songs about people and places in the Ozark Mountains here where we live. What made you want to write songs? Well, when I was, well, like I said, about probably 40 years ago, I don't remember how long it was, I met this old fiddle maker back in, in the hills here in the Ozarks, and I had never seen the kind of poverty that, that this old man lived in. And he made his own fiddles, and he hung them on the wall, and they had mockingbirds carved on the back, and it was so he was so fascinated. His name was Denton Bowes. And I remember thinking, no one will even know he exists unless somebody told his story. Or, and so I wrote my very first song ever called The Ode to Mr. Bowes. And it kind of just got me interested in the idea of writing songs. But before that, all my life I played in like top 40 country bands. And they only wanted to hear songs that were on the radio that someone else had written. And when I wrote my own song, it was so exciting to express my own self. And then a floodgate opened, and I just began writing songs and songs and songs. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. So could you tell us a little bit about him? About Mr. Bose? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, he, all he had in his little... Ca- well, there were cracks in the walls about two inches wide, and he had newspaper crammed into the cracks to insulate it and keep it warm. He had a wood-burning stove. Um, he had a mattress on the floor, a rickety old rocking chair, and um, and then those beautiful fiddles on the wall, and he had great big hands, and and actually, I wrote the song about him, and Kelly and I sang it for many years, and um, then we were playing it in his hometown, and his best friend, Mr. Bose had already passed away. His best friend came up and said that he had been Mr. Bose's best friend, and that he had the very last fiddle that Mr. Bose made, and it had a Liberty Bell carved on the back. It was all made by hand with a pocket knife carved by hand, and they gave it to me. And so now I can sing the song about Mr. Bose on his very last fiddle. That's really cool. Thank you. Um, other than writing songs, how did he impact your music career? Uh, well, I think he just fascinated me as knowing that there were stories out there to be told that weren't being told. And so it made me kind of become a, a detective or a historian and wanting to do more and more. So just that one experience many years ago just kind of launched me into wanting to tell stories of people that lived in the hills. Do you feel that it is your duty to create songs and tell stories through music of history that we might not know of? Yeah, I do. It's become my duty, (laughs) you know. And when I met Kelly, he had been doing that on his own, too. And not very many people... Musicians are telling the stories of the Ozarks. In Appalachia, a lot of people do write songs and do that, but here in the Ozarks, not so much. And so when we met, we both discovered that we both had this kind of secret passion of 
telling stories, and, and then it just snowballed. And now we've got, I think, four CDs full of songs about the Ozarks, specifically. Mm-hmm. How long have you been working on Still on the Hill? We've been together 23 years. And for a long time, we just toured coast to coast and played in Europe for nine years, um, traveled all over and everything. But now in the last few years, you know, as we're getting older and stuff and traveling, we've both done that our whole lives. Now, because we're concentrating on the Ozarks, we get to stay home and do it like you all came to the show the other day. We get to perform here at home, which is such a joy to be in our own community, in our own home with our little kitty cat and not having to be traveling all the time. Yeah. Were there any challenges that came up when you first started? As, as a musician? Oh, my goodness. I think, well, it was kind of challenging just being on the road all the time. Um, when Kelly and I started together with Still on the Hill, it was challenging because um, our son was only 12 years old, and we homeschooled him in the van. And back then, we were a four-piece band. So we imagine this, in a minivan with a big upright base, four adults, and homeschooling with all of our luggage and everything. That was kind of challenging. <laughs> so when we became a duo, which we are now, it was way easier. How long were you living in the van with your family? <laughs> uh, I, think we, I think we just homeschooled him from, I guess he was in maybe the third or fourth grade up until maybe seventh grade. So not not that long, because then then he wanted to go to real school. So we didn't we didn't subject him to that so much anymore. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about the members of your earlier band? Uh huh. There was a, a gentleman named Phil Lancaster, and he played banjo. And he was from he was Arkansas boy, so he had a really strong Arkansas accent. But he lived in France for many years, so he could also speak fluent French. So that was kind of cool. And then John Johnston played the upright bass. And he was just an amazing, had a gravelly voice. And, it, and back in that, when that part of Still on the Hill was very different. We didn't do the historical songs like, like you heard us do. Um, we just played all kinds of bluegrassy kind of songs, and we played really fast. We were just a high-energy band. So at festivals, we would kind of be the, the last band of the night because we were just such high energy. But now as a duo, we get to kind of be more poignant. You know, we get to... Um, we don't have to just do fast energy song for the audience. You know, we can play whatever we want. You know, it's, it's really a lot. It's a lot more fun. We are enjoying being just a duo. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what a bright bass is or bass is? An upright bass. Oh, good. Okay. Well, um, it looks like a giant violin. It's probably well, I'm five feet tall, maybe six feet tall. <laughs> like, so imagine a six foot tall violin. You know, you've been to an orchestra and they got those great big, looks like giant violins. Those are called bass violins, or we call it um, just upright bass. It's kind of more the bluegrass word for it. So an upright bass, that's a very good question. Would you say become, like, shrinking your band down to a duo would help you focus more on telling the story of the Ozarks? Absolutely, absolutely. Because um, when, when you're, in a bigger situation, you know, everybody had to have their turn, you know, and had different songs to bring into the mix. And because Kelly and I both loved telling the songs of the Ozark, when it just was us, we could make all the decisions, you know, and that, that so we could kind of hone in our, our focus. And so it did make us, at that point, to become more focused on the Ozarks.
That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we heard about your last CD project called Still a River, mm-hmm. about the Buffalo River. Mm-hmm. Why is it called that? Well, that's a good question. Still a river. The Buffalo River is our nation's first historic river. It, believe it or not, is one of the only unadulterated, uh, free-flowing rivers in the whole South. All of our all of our lakes, like Beaver Lake and stuff, are all man-made from damming up rivers. The, the Beaver Lake is from damming up the White River. So all of our lakes are man-made, but the Buffalo River, um, a bunch of people back in the like, 70s, wanted to protect it because they were going to turn it, they were going to dam the Buffalo River and turn it into a lake as well. But a whole bunch of people rose up and said, no, we need one river, this beautiful, special river, to remain free-flowing forever. So they fought really hard and made it become our nation's first historic river. And now it's a national park, actually. And so it's called Still a River because... It wasn't turned into a, a lake. It wasn't dammed. Our, our project CD project right before that was about Beaver Lake, and it was called Once a River. So it was Once a River because the White River was dammed, and now this one was still a river because it wasn't. Yeah. And that was all history, stories, and songs about the people and the places along the Buffalo River. So we attended your show on Saturday. Mm-hmm at the museum, and you were singing songs about Cane Hill. Could you tell us about that project? Oh, that this that's the one we're right in the thick of right now. I think we've only done half. We're going to be doing 13 of those free concerts around the state, and we've done about half of them. But it takes us about a year to do a project like this. And the town of Cane Hill, which is a little town that doesn't have a whole lot, it's got a beautiful little museum, and it was the first had the first college that allowed women, one of the first colleges in Arkansas. And they are starting to build their town up to be historic, and they want people to start knowing about it. So because we've done all these other projects about the Ozarks, they came to us over a year ago and wanted us to write the history of their town in songs. So we spent the whole year researching, going to the museum, talking to people, and we wrote 12 songs about the town of Cane Hill. And we have our own recording studio, so we recorded the songs, and then we had to figure out, well, it was kind of challenging because in the studio, Kelly can play every instrument on the, in the world. And we have, all, uh, we have an upright bass that we talked about. We have all kinds of pu- old vintage pump organs and this and that. And so Kelly spends the whole year finger painting with all these instruments and collaging them into the songs so they're really dense and full. And then we finish recording it and we're like, oh, now we have to figure out how to take that song and play it with two people. Like, what instruments are we going to use? How are we going to embellish it and make it more interesting? And so then we have to memorize them and work them up and make the quilts. We have what is called a low-tech PowerPoint because we're so non-tech. So I make, I get, I take images for every song. Like if there's a song we're singing about, an old country doctor, I'll find a photo of him. And I send it to a place in San Francisco and they blow it up on fabric. And then I embellish it with embroidery and put a border on it, and I hold it up, this quilt, because the Ozarks and quilts, and I hold it up and I call it my low-tech PowerPoint. So we create this whole show, and then we book a series of concerts, which are all free to the public, and we give away 100 CDs at each show. And it's such a joy as a musician to be able to perform for free so that we can have people that maybe wouldn't, uh, know about us or uh, be able to afford to come to come to the show 
and then to give away our music. Like, what a joy is that? So we're in the thick of that one now, and now we're kind of wondering what's next. We're kind of hoping that some other town or somebody comes forward and says, ooh, we're going to give you a grant to do this for our town. So It's really cool. Um, how long have you been working on the low-tech PowerPoint? Actually, we, Kelly jokes about this, we have so many different shows. We have the, you know, our original one was called Ozark, then we had the Once a River about Beaver Lake, and then Still a River. Each of these shows has its own 12 PowerPoint quilts. So I have a suitcase for that show, and a suitcase for that show, and a, you know, and they each have their own quilts. But for Cane Hill, the museum in Cane Hill wanted their own 10 quilts of their own. So I had to do 20. I had to do duplicates of each one. So I worked on them for the whole year while he was in the studio doing a lot of the recording. Because in the studio, he probably spends 80% to my 20% of time in the studio. So I was stitching quilts while he was doing all the, the hard recording work. <laughs> Would you say it takes... A long, it's a long process to determine like what instruments go into a certain song and how it's going to sound? Yeah, I think that's sometimes the most challenging part of it because, because we do have so many instruments at our disposal. Like on the, on a, in a show, we might have as many as 10 different instruments behind us. Um, and so in each song, we want to be different. And we want each one to have texture and, and color. There's the one song that uh, we do about a school teacher, and I have a little set of children's bells, a little bell tree. And I, I just play these little bells just to embellish it and kind of give it texture and stuff. So that I, And then memorizing, you know, as we get more mature, it's harder to cram all those words in our head. So we do have to spend quite a bit of the time actually fine-tuning this in the show and deciding how we want to put it all together. But that's fun. That's fun part, too. Since our listeners didn't get the opportunity to see you perform last weekend, we were wondering if you could maybe bring in the other half of your duo, Kelly, and you all could play a song for us and maybe share a little bit about its history. Well, okay, I'm going to do a song that's really quite different than what, you, what we've been talking about. It's not from the Ozarks at all, because I don't only write, we don't only write songs about the Ozarks and about here. We write songs about everything and anything. I probably have written over 800 songs, and so I like to write about all sorts of things. But because this is for all girls considered, I thought I would write a, uh, sing a song that kind of talks about all the labels that we attach to ourselves. Because um, I think that, that we all do that. We, oh, I'm, I'm shy, or I'm, I'm this, or I'm that. And, and I got to thinking about maybe who are we underneath all of our labels. So I thought this would be kind of a fun song to do. And um, <laughs> it's called, Who Am I? And I'm playing the man schemer I miss things but they're not 
stories in your songs based on like historic places and people and events as well. Thank you so much. It also seems like there's a lot of research that goes into the songwriting process. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the fun things is because now that people know that we have become storytellers of the Ozarks, they come to us with their own family stories, and, and sometimes they'll take us out in the woods to meet some special tree that's 100 years old that was their great-great-grandfather planted, and that's true. Or, you know, like just to an old um, a weaning house. They used to have these houses in, in the woods where when a young person was... Um, a young couple got married, the parents would build a little shack in the back and give them a blue tick hound and a cow to kind of practice before they moved out into the world and they'd take us to see the weaning house or, you know, just things like that. And so that's part of the research is just following up if someone tells us a story or going to museums. The Shiloh Museum that, that you all came and heard us at is an amazing wealth of museum, but sometimes it's fun just to hear from people and have people come in and research and tell us their family stories to pass on. It's a really, really fun journey. So we noticed on your website that you use some unique homemade instruments. How and where did you find them, and why do you like to use them? Oh, that's been a journey, too. Well, Mr. Um, Mr. Bose was an old, fid the old fiddler I met years ago, and I have one of his instruments. I think that was one of the first ones I got with the Liberty Bell on the back. and. Um, 
so it's, it's become kind of a, um, a passion of ours is to discover these instrument makers of the Ozarks and, um, and use their instruments in our show. So we have um, Ed Stilley, um, Jim Lee, uh, Mr. Bose, um, Elliot Smith. There's an old guy that, from Jasper, and he's 95 years old. And we have a fiddle that he made that looks like a Norwegian traditional hardanger fiddle. It has eight strings and four run under the fingerboard. You don't even play them. And it has a lion head carved on the top. He just saw a photograph in a magazine and, and made this amazing fiddle. And I really wanted that fiddle and I couldn't afford it. But he knew I write songs about people in the Ozarks. So I wrote him a letter and I said, Elliot, if I write a song about you, will you trade that fiddle? And he did. He traded me the fiddle for a song. So we have just a, a mount. Oh, we have a beautiful dulcimer. It's a, um, a traditional Ozark instrument made out of a Ozark chinkapin chestnut tree, which is a tree that has gone almost extinct in the Ozarks. It's one of the most important trees. You can look that up, the Ozark chinkapin chestnut. And Kelly and I are on the board to help bring that tree back. And they made us a dulcimer out of one of the um, trees that died, one of the old chinkapin trees out of it. So that's just, and to be able to actually sing the stories of the people that made the instruments and play the instruments is just really fun and unique. We read about Ed Silly on your website. Could you tell us about how he impacted your music career? I think he's probably our most famous, no, he's not famous at all. He's the most interesting of all of our Ozark characters. We met him probably just shortly after we met, about 20 years ago, and I was at a girlfriend's house, and there was a strange-looking guitar sitting on her fireplace, and it had writing on it, and it had springs and saw blades in it, and I said, what in the world is that? Because I like instruments. And she said that was made by a man that lives in Hogscald Holler named Ed Stilly. He used to be her neighbor. She used to live next door to him. And they, her and her husband had helped him with some project around his house, and he had given her that instrument. And I, I said, Kelly has to see this. So I went home and got him and took him to see the instrument. And we said, we have to meet this man. So she took us back into the hills to meet Ed Stilly and Eliza, his wife. So Ed made the story about how he came about making them is just phenomenal. Um, he had had a vision, and in the vision, God told him that he needed to make instruments and give them all away to children. So for the next 20 years, he did nothing but make, he made over 200 of these strange instruments, never made an instrument in his life, and gave them all away as his mission. So the Shiloh Museum, February, in the, uh, the 4th of February, there's going to be a huge exhibit of Ed Stilley and his life that Kelly and I helped curate. And um, he's just, it's just, he's truly an American folk artist and probably one of the finest that our state has ever uncovered. And it's really an honor for us to have been instrumental in helping to uncover him. But he could care less about fame or fortune. All he wants you to do is to, to see his instruments and know that he made them as his mission. That's really cool. How is having mentors, mentors like Ed or other musicians important in your life? Well, I think that's a mentor is just to help us learn and grow. I've I've had so so many I can't even count them from way back to my dad who played guitar with me in the kitchen, and each each um, each person that's crossed my path has helped me grow and and expand my own music. So it's I treasure them all. 
Were there like certain places, ideas, or experiences that influenced your decisions? Certain places? Oh my gosh. I think every place we've traveled, we've been to almost, we've played almost every state in the Union. We've played in Europe. I have songs about Europe. And so every, every place has its own magical journey. Cane Hill, when we started Cane Hill, so tiny, I didn't think that there could be 12 songs, history songs that I could write. I was like, oh no, I hope I can find enough stories. I could write another whole CD. Kelly and I could do another whole CD just about Cane Hill. <laughs> There's stories everywhere. You just got to keep your eyes open and look and your ears. We also heard that you have another hobby that has to do with the Ozark Ball Museum. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> you guys all better come and visit. You get free admission, okay? <laughs> I'll give you the grand tour. Oh, gosh. When I met Kelly, he had a little cardboard box with about 12 spherical object, objects in it. And he said, oh, look at my collection of balls. And he had, like, some transistor round radios that he had as a child and just odd, you know, some worn croquet balls. <laughs> like, so we just started a joke that we needed a retirement plan because we're folk musicians. And, and so we thought we could start a roadside attraction. We would have the Ozark Ball Museum. And then the whole thing snowballed. Because when we're traveling for the last 20 years, if we play a concert at night and we're in some little town... We have the whole day to go to flea markets and look around. And so we started collecting and collecting and collecting, and friends would bring them to us. And we have a ball and chain from Alcatraz Prison. We have one a baseball signed by Babe Ruth. We have a disco ball in our living room that turns and lights up, and we have a disco party. I mean, yeah, so the whole thing has gotten out of control, but it's really fun. And then we were silly. This year we got a kitten. A ball museum and a kitten. <laughs> so one of the last questions we have to ask you is, what advice do you have for girls listening to this podcast? I think be, if, if you like to play music and, and it's something you're interested in, in it, it, does, it takes a lot of practice. And, and um, sometimes in the early stages, you know, your fingers can hurt and it's kind of can be frustrating, but keep at it. It's whether or not you become a professional at it or you just do it for the pure joy. It, it's just, and, and because I didn't even start writing, you know, you, you, young, young people are learning to write poems and songs and essays and stuff. And writing can be so... Um, opening. It can, it can be such a joy. It can be cathartic. It can help you when you're sad. You can write about your feelings. And for me, because I didn't start finding out about that love of, until I was in my 40, you know, and then I see young people that are starting to write, whether it's poems or journals or essays or the music, they're expressing themselves. And it's just, it's, a, it's probably one of my greatest joys. I sometimes... I don't have any regrets at all because it's all part of the process. But I sometimes think, boy, if I had started knowing how much I love this when I was your age, how cool would that be, you know? But it's also not everybody, it doesn't matter if you do it professionally or not, writing or, or creating of any sort. My advice is just be creative. You know, cooking is creative, sewing is creative, music is creative, dance is creative. And it's all part of the same thing, just being creative.
and that I guess that's my advice. <laughs> well, it's probably time to wrap things up. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk to us. We hope you have a great day, and we hope our conversation has been inspiring for some of our listeners. I know it has been for me. This is Amelia and Kiera from from All Girls Considered Considered, signing off. off.